What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick with Camp Notes for 8523, the Saturday practice here. Uh, long practice, a hot practice, and a awfully unproductive practice for the offense, which had a, a really lousy day against the defense. I guess you could think of it as the defense had a very good day. Uh, they picked off a total of nine passes, which is absolutely unheard of in terms of a, a, a single practice and that many. Uh, uh passes going wrong a lot of underthrown balls in 11 on 11 and uh just balls that the cornerbacks got to balls that the safeties got to and i'm going to go into each one specifically as we go through but there's not going to be a lot of positive things to say about the offense so if you wanted a lot of obj notes you're not going to get those today uh and i also watched the defense of the individual drills and have some notes on that and i want to i want to talk a little bit about that practice itself though Not quite as hot as it had been last week, 85 degrees today. Uh, In terms of participation, Ronnie Stanley had what we believe was a vet day. Uh, We did not hear from Harbaugh at the podium today. He actually, uh, um, I believe, begged out at some point because he was on the schedule, but we ended up with uh, the tight ends coach and uh, Kolar and Likely being the three uh, who, who ended up talking at the podium. I'll talk a little bit about what they said later. In terms of other participation, you may have heard Trayvon Mullen cut for a second time. Uh, he's on some sort of reserve NFI list right now, which means his status is not quite determined yet. Um, probably a matter of money at this point and how they're going to settle uh, the, the, the situation. Uh, but Trayvon, uh, uh, he was 
on the roster on PUP got um, uh, cut actually on, on the NFI list, I believe. Then he got cut. Then he got re-signed. And, and then we believe that was to be have, have his contract non-guaranteed. And then he just got cut again. So it's hard to really say what's going on other than there was a not the Ravens claim anyway, there, there was a non-reporting of an injury. So uh, that was at the at the heart of some of this. In terms of the PUP players, we still have Dobbins, Ricard, and Bateman on that list. Uh, one of the things that's been getting Harbaugh kind of upset in terms of the questions has been questions about J.K. Dobbins and when's he coming back. He doesn't know. Um, in, in terms of Bateman, he didn't want to give a timetable. Uh, I don't think we've heard anything yet about Ricard and the status of inju- his injury and when he's likely to be back. So uh, those two guys are still on PUP. In terms of NFI, in addition to Mullen, we still have Voris who presumably will stay there for the whole season. But I am hearing, and, and this is from cap expert Brian McFarland, that there's a chance that the Ravens really would like to pay Voris at the split rate, which means instead of a 750000 or so rookie salary, he'd make something like 430000 instead. The Ravens also would um, lose the extra year of an, an RFA possibility that would occur after the, the first four years after his draft. So that would be for the 2027 season. They potentially would not would lose the services of Voorhees to free agency. And um, uh, it's a play nice with your draftees move if they do it. Um, but uh, it is still, I guess, possible that they keep him on NFI the, uh, the, the entire time. But that would be really playing hardball if they did. Uh, beyond Voorhees, Bowser, and Moore, the long snapper, are both on NFI as well. So uh, uh, none of those statuses have changed, and and I don't uh, know that we'll have word on when they will. Mullen and Moore are both expected to miss the season. Uh, Voorhees is, of course, as well. And Bowser is the one who I think there's still hope that he'll be back. Um, what Harbaugh said the last time he was ad- had addressed the Bowser issue was that uh, there were reasonable timelines um, related to it. So it seemed to be they have some idea of when he'll be back. That could be midseason. It could be some, I, I don't, I think it probably means he does, he will not miss the full season is how I would interpret that comment from Harbaugh. And that's a damn good thing because Bowser, obviously a very important player. Missing this practice only, and for as, as far as we know, we're not long-term injury. Uh, Trenton Simpson still out. Uh, David Ajabo missed yet another day. Rock Yassin, uh, who apparently came back with a clean MRI, even though there's there's some pain in the knee from his uh, from his injury the other day, uh, it missed another day. Uh, Stone missed another day, and Arthur Mollett, we we didn't get an update on what his situation was. So hopefully it's not anything serious. But he just had a pretty big day the last time I was there on the second. So that's something that uh, that we'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, I think that's it. I think I've covered the other things about Harbaugh missing his podium appearance. So we'll move on to the offense. I just got to say it was an awful day. Seven on seven, 11 on 11, included nine interceptions, four of those by Lamar Jackson, three by Josh Johnson, and two by Huntley. Anthony Brown didn't have any interceptions, but he didn't have very many passes either. So uh, not of not an impressive day really by any quarterback. Uh I'd say the the good looks from the offense, the balls that got out cleanly and whatnot came mostly in the 11 versus zero drills. They actually are 11 versus colors. Um, there's two defensive linemen that are dressed in blue, I believe it is, five defensive backs dressed in red and two inside linebackers uh, dressed in green. So it's four to it's four, two and five. 
um, uh, in those colors that uh, uh, are on the field, but they're just non-athletic looking assistants <laughs> who, who take those roles and have papers in their hand telling them how they should play defense against an offense that really honestly can just flip the ball over their head anytime they felt like it. So it's not a, it's not a competitive drill by any sense. If you think back to the Joe Flacco era, there was a time when Joe used to actually get upset at the defense because they would be so disruptive and the practices were so competitive because of the scoring system that they would make it very difficult for Flacco to just run the offense uh, and, and try and, you know, get some legitimate live fire practice against players who weren't trying to intercept every pass or disrupt every play or could recognize their playbook and all the other things that your own team can sometimes do to you. And, and obviously a very talented defense can do to you even more often. So Joe would complain about that. You know, just, you know, we know you're good. Just let us run our offense, damn it. And, uh, and that's kind of, I think how Lamar must've been feeling by the end of this day, very difficult day for all of them. Uh, a point was made that a drill they ran for at least one session was third and long, but I don't think they were running third and long the whole day. At least I don't know if they were. Um, so it's, it's the kind of thing where you really wonder just, yeah, it could have been some might've been situational in terms of, you know, the pass rushers put in a better position and all the things that happen on third and long that make a defense more effective. But I think there were, there were other elements to that too, that the offense just really had a, a truly lousy day, but rather than focus on them, we'll go over the defense for a moment to talk a little bit about the drills they went through. Cause that's what I watched today. Then we'll move back over to talk about 11 and 11s and just, just what the hell happened on uh, all those interceptions. So I start off with the, the defensive line drills, the defensive line and the outside linebackers were mixed for this. And the interesting thing about it was, Chuck Smith was teaching both groups. So it could have been Anthony Weaver, who's a defensive line coach, and he was there for a part of it doing, or he's there for all of it, but he was there leading a part of it in terms of one-on-one -on -one reps I want to talk about. But Chuck Smith, very easy to see how he'd be very helpful to outside linebackers or any pass rushers trying to improve their game. So he has some specific drills he takes them through. I'll talk a little bit about those. Has some very technical and specific advice. I won't talk about any of that that I overheard, but, but it's it, you, the, from the nature of what he's telling individual players, they're getting specific items that are actionable, not general things they should do, which is very important. So I think that was a, that was a positive draw from this. The, the generalized focus of all of the drills is really on hand play and arm play. How do you get around the man across you, defeat his arms, use your arms effectively as weapons, as tools to throw off their opponent, um, but to your ultimate goal being get past that guy uh, across from you in various ways. And so that's what we're going to focus on here. So they worked on rip moves for a while, very standard part. You see that in any camp, they often do these rip drills coming right off a blocking dummy is how I've seen it often done in the past. Um, these rip drills uh, were, were done uh, usually against the pads worn by Chuck Smith on a play. So he'll put on those long arm pads and they'll have to rip past him on, on those kind of moves. I'll talk a little bit about other, another set before. Um, it, was another, it was another person who was actually handling the pads on one because uh, Justin Matabike got a, got a low five from Chuck Smith after, after one rep. It's, it's very clear that 
Um, Smith is very happy with Matabike and who he has uh, improved to as a pass rusher. That carries some very positive portent for this Ravens team. And I, I hope that they can keep Matabike fresh as a pass rusher, given the increased snap burden we're likely to see coming from multiple angles this year. One, the loss of Calais Campbell, and of course, also the increase in total defensive snaps we expect to see from having Monken's offense, which is going to be, we assume, run at a faster pace than Roman's was, which was very much a, we're going to take our sweet time getting down the field and you guys can just wait to get the football back again. And that lead to, led to a lot of tremendous per drive efficiency in terms of points. And the other side of that, if you want to go for more big plays, you might even do better in terms of points per drive, but you're definitely going to give up more drives. So essentially uh, it becomes a bigger pot. You're playing a less controlled uh, size of pot when you, uh, when you do that. Think about it from a poker term as I often do. Did a whole bunch of drills on how to beat offensive line punch. So that, those are basically done with the, the, the longer arm pads. Uh, so uh, Chuck did, did uh, some of that directly himself, and he's kind of poking at him as they, as a lineman might to kind of throw a defender off their game. And, and it seemed to me like he was using a variety of techniques. It wasn't just always, you know, going high on the outside shoulder of the man opposite you. So, you know, you, you could beat a typical outside move or inside for, for that matter. He, he was mixing it up a little bit in terms of how he was, uh, you know, applying uh, these punches and, they, he, we really want to see how did individuals react to that when they're not sure what was coming. So that was interesting to watch. It was really interesting to see Chuck Smith uh, work his magic on a bunch of guys who, who we hope uh, can become better individual pass rushers. I'll say the one guy who looked still a little hesitant, and they do a lot of work in terms of getting out of their stance quickly. A lot of it is not what I would call portable to the real game, to the real field. So they're working with a football that's on a stick and they kind of pull it back and they, and they kind of all move at the same time. And, um, you know, a, a player on the field with an offensive lineman opposite him has a lot more to worry about. And in particular, he has to worry about how am I making my first move and does it need to change when I see the lineman do something different, like slide instead of uh, just take his normal um, set. Uh, I, I think that the guy who did not look great there was Owe. He still looks a little hesitant with that first move out of his stance. I'm very bullish on who uh, Adafi is going to become this year, uh, particularly working with Chuck Smith. But this was a day where he didn't look that great uh, getting out of his stance and, and making that first move from uh, from what I was seeing. And, and again, that first move he'd be making, it's all hand play stuff where he'd be hand playing against air. Uh, so I, I want to see I want to see that be a little bit better. Anthony Weaver took over versus the current defensive lineman. Now let's set the stage a little bit here. Anthony line, Weaver, of course, defensive line coach, ex defensive lineman for the Ravens, who very durable during his time with the Ravens, had a great five year run with them from 02 to 06. Um, terrific lineman, but the uh, uh, he is now probably around 42 years old, 41 years old, somewhere in that range. He is in magnificent shape. It looks like he could still play. He's a very large man. He, you know, is is the right shape top to bottom to be a defensive lineman. Still, he looks like he is not a, he's not overweight. He looks like a you know a 
a powerful five tech, you know, more like a maybe a, a, a Matabike who is more of that body type, even though not a five tech. Um, uh, it's just he's in outstanding physical shape. Here's what was impressive about what Anthony Weaver did there. He's going in there in basically what's a hand placement drill for the for the offensive lineman. So he's playing the offensive lineman against each of these defensive linemen. And he goes in and he, and he sets up against each one individually. And then they execute these what look like powerful young man rip moves in either direction on Anthony Weaver to, to try and get free. If you're a 42-year-old man and you're constantly getting effectively beat up with these rip moves, I think at the very least you get you get very bruised from that kind of a effort. So impressive that he's still able to do that. He, uh, he don't, doesn't show any difficulty in doing it. Maybe they're taking it a little bit easy on him, but it certainly looks like there's real physical contact there in terms of those rip moves. Uh, and it looks like, uh, you know, a, a good learning experience for them to have a guy like Weaver, who's not afraid to mix it up with them, not afraid at all um, to, to be a guy they need to, uh, get past in terms of those those drills. So they did a left, they, they ripped left, they ripped right. So, you know, including all the guys they have, outside linebackers and defensive linemen who are there, you know, maybe a dozen players in total. Um, you know, that's 24 times he has to get hit in one arm or the other. <laughs> and that's just, that'd be a lot to go through even in a, a single day. And I, I can't imagine going through it, uh, you know, three times in a, in a given camp uh, to do this drill. So uh, impressive that... Uh, uh, he's a good coach anyway. And I, I mentioned how impressed by I, I was at the podium the last time he was up there. That interesting um, drill on lateral pursuit. So this involved showing the snap to two linemen and then having them immediately go after a ball carrier when the ball was in theory out quickly on a screen pass to the left side. Okay. That's the offensive left side. Not that it matters because they could have done it either way. And effectively, you just get to see how quickly these defensive linemen can respond. Are they quick enough to really add to pursuit? Uh, Got to hustle. The, the, the coach who's, who's taking the, making the play is, is hustling. So there's, there's just a component of that involved in it. And I think what you find on a lot of those plays is it's very hard for a defensive lineman to make a play in lateral pursuit unless the ball carrier is redirected or slowed down in some manner. But when that happens, when that happens, there is a great opportunity for a forced fumble from that defensive lineman, particularly if they're coming in from the from the blind side of the player. If they're coming in, you know, behind in the middle of the field, that's a that's just a fumble waiting to happen. You're going to have a very powerful man using his club, uh, maybe underhanded, maybe overhanded, to try and get that ball loose. But he's going to be very effective at doing it, and uh, we've seen that happen, you know, certainly a fair amount. Um, but even coming in from the side, if that uh, ball carrier is not carrier careful and he's you know, watching the defender in front of him, trying to figure out how can I make a few more yards off that one block. That's when fumbles happen. The other time fumbles happen, by the way, when you get somebody flipped up in the air. It's why I hate the hurdles so much you see from tight ends these days is when they're up in the air, they're extremely vulnerable to losing the football, um, uh, having it having it knocked free. So as much as, you know, you, you, you kind of like the extra couple of yards they may get on those plays and sometimes you get a breakaway out of it that, that even gives them more than that. The additional fumble risk to me is not worth it. And if you go look at the times that Todd Heap, for example, fumbled in his career, a whole lot of them were when he's up in the air, off the ground, and the ball is is uh, uh, then comes out. And just the whole nature of having to protect yourself from the fall and whatnot makes you a bigger fumble risk. So 
Uh, I think that that DL lateral pursuit drill that I, that I just mentioned has some real value to those guys to make sure they're they're out quickly. They're not giving up on plays, and um, that's obviously something that work. And they probably beat them over if they don't uh, they don't do a particularly great job. So a lot of the standard kind of QB rush drills, and these everyone does them. So I'm not giving away anything. But move right of the dummy, move left of the dummy, then knock down the quarterback. This is where you get some interesting additional advice coming from Chuck Smith. He says, you know, don't break your feet down. So he's saying that to everyone. It's that was a general comment, and I mentioned there's a specific and technical component to what he does. I think there there is, but this is more of a thing he wants to remind everybody not to do is don't let your feet get tied up by the fact that you have to slap this dummy in a certain way. You need to maintain your leverage appropriately while you deliver those hits to the dummy um, and, and get around um, their faux uh, pass protection that they are uh, offering. Uh, so anyway, it's an interesting drill to watch. And uh, I've always had a lot of fun watching all these uh, DL drills. Defensive backs working out on the same side of the field. They did some interesting drills trying to, excuse me, work off uh, how to deal with bunch and and, um, and uh, pair formation, twin formations. And, you know, these, these occur, we see them a lot from the Steelers, a lot from the Chiefs are uh, formations where you've had the two receivers together where they can immediately pick off, one can pick off the other, or you have three together, that's called a bunch. You can't have even four together. I call that a diamond. I don't know if there's another word for it, if it's just a bunch of four or whatever you know they, they may call it. But two, three, and four are all possible is the point I'm making. And coverage responsibilities get specific, and they get specific off the move in those situations. So watching that happen, drill was done at about a quarter speed. Um, the defensive backs are acting as the uh, – receivers in that particular case as well and the uh they have to know where their assignment is coming off that kind of a a stack or a bunch or a, or a twin or even a diamond formation I, I two and three was what they seem to be doing today and and it seemed to be fairly um second nature i didn't hear a lot of screams from the coaches there saying wait a minute that's the wrong guy for you to cover you know take and whatnot i think People generally knew what their responsibility was coming off those uh, plays, so that was good to see. Then they had another odd fumble drill. Now, this was a weird one because the defender is picking up the football. He tosses the football on the ground. Then he knocks a presumably a tackler into a pit that is prepared for him so they won't have injuries. And then he goes after the football again. So has the ball, fumbles it away intentionally, knocks his teammate into a pit and then runs after to get the ball again and, and cover it up. So in, in the NFL, in, in, as far as I know, every level of football, you're allowed to, once the ball is on the ground, use your hands. And there are no restrictions as there are with blocking in terms of um, uh, not being able to hold or anything like that. You use your hold. You throw, throw the guy 15 feet if you want. Can't be unnecessarily rough about it but throw the player away in your effort to, to get the ball and you're well within your rights uh, on a football field. So they need to practice that a little bit. And this is just an interesting little drill to do that. A lot of fun, a lot of clowning around. So uh, it's a good drill to kind of uh, wind down those individual efforts. So at that point, the teams came together and they, they did split up again for some seven on seven activity later, but they came together for the initial sessions of 11 on 11 a few things came out of this, and I'll talk about it. These are all defensive notes. Nothing for the offense I've got right now. 
Are Darius Washington uh, is seeing more time at ones in the nickel. So this is an interesting development because, you know, they've had a couple different positions, left guard being one where they've already announced that Sala is going to be moving to the number twos next week. They're going to be fl flipping Sipson up to the number ones. We'll see how that plays out in the preseason game in terms of who gets to play with the ones and twos or if they alternate or what they might do. Um, but it's interesting that they're, they're switching. I would personally be of the belief having this scene, seen the same kind of thing happen with CEOs. So you have two guys you think are, are too good. You can't lose either. And you say, I'll tell you what, the next four years, each year is going to be CEO for two years. And uh, the guy, you want to be second in that deal. You want to be the second and, and uh, uh, do things that uh, play off of the first weaknesses potentially. Uh, but anyway, demonstrate clearly that you're better. You also have an idea you know, of, of how much you're behind and, and how much you need to gamble in terms of making moves that'll that'll pay off for you in that situation. So anyway, in this in this particular case, um with with Simpson and Sala, I think it may mean that Simpson is back in a pretty good position to win the left guard job. Certainly not out of it at this point. Um Ben Cleveland's name is not getting mentioned in in those same sentences. Uh you know, the the the, the platitudes that go with it are all about needs to be more consistent, needs to bring it every day, practice, practice, needs to stack practices, all that kind of stuff doesn't mean anything in terms of when is his opportunity coming. He's been playing backup right guard and backup right tackle. And so I, he'll, you know, he certainly will be on the team in terms of, you know, won't be cut. But on the other hand, uh, it, it's not obvious exactly um, where his opportunity is going to come if indeed one comes due to injury. So that'll be a uh, you know, something that uh, we'll keep our eye on. But in the preseason, watching how Cleveland plays in what will probably be pretty significant amount of preseason snaps for him, because he's not going to get the starter treatment. He's not one of the big four linemen who are, who are all set. And he's not even the left guard where they probably will split snaps for the first half or something or into the second half. Um, he could be a guy who plays two positions and plays three quarters of the game. Wouldn't surprise me if that's the case and that they really want to see a lot of Ben Cleveland to try and see, can he bring something from versatility, even if he's not going to be our starter somewhere? Could he be the right, could he be a, a three position backup in terms of left guard, right guard and right tackle potentially? So I, we'll look for what happens to Cleveland in those preseason games, but I think that's going to be um, one of the things, but I made this point originally because they're doing the same thing at slot corner. It appears so they had Stevens back there at slot corner for a while. They had Mollett in there for a couple of days. Now Mollett in this practice today. And Ardarius Washington seeing ties with the ones. And he'd kind of been a forgotten guy so far, playing a lot of uh, you know, two and three, uh, second and third team snaps, and, and not getting a lot of total snaps, frankly. Well, today, not only did he see action, but he played really well. So he had a, a pass defense in addition to an interception we'll talk about later uh, that kind of began or was near the start of the avalanche of interceptions uh, that occurred by the, the the defense on this day. A couple more players I want to point out. Pepe Williams, obviously still in the uh, hunt for that slot corner role, had a nice downhill play on Prochet for a five-yard gain. And this is a thing, you, you know, make the most of your opportunities. He didn't have a ton of snaps today. He played a little bit of safety. But when he's in there at slot corner, he really needs to show the downhill physicality that would be one of the complaints about his game that, that, that I, I don't think it's any question that he has the, the downhill tenacity. It's more about having the physicality 
to really take care of larger men opposite him, whether that be running backs or uh, or receivers, and made a nice downhill play on Prochet to take him down, or what appeared to wrap him up quickly for about a five-yard gain. I mentioned Tavius Robinson. Uh, he's getting lots of playing time with Ajabo out. Uh, so Ajabo's missed now several days. Might be four in a row now, I believe he's missed. And uh, he has just looked very good in terms of his pass rush. I don't think he's given up everything for it. I was having a little bit of discussion with Jonas Schaefer about this at practice, and Jonas thought he's been great. And one of the things he noticed was that he'd been containing the outside well, not just letting Lamar get away on the rush. And it was, it was funny because just like five plays earlier, I had just the opposite thing written down in my book about a particular play where Tavius had gotten really good pressure, but he left the door open for Lamar to rush right on a play. And uh, we just had a laugh about that, obviously, it's small sample size, either direction we we're going in this. But I think he's done a very good job in terms of his uh, pass rush looking really good this year. So that's something that uh, uh, that I think has been very positive. I, I, I Ravens are really going to need a third outside linebacker to step up and play some high quality snaps. And if Tavius Robinson could be that guy, along with Owe and Ajabo taking you know the, the bulk of snaps total, um, that'll be a good thing. They also really need to find a Sam linebacker uh, as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Daryl Worley, uh, another guy who, who looked pretty good. He was playing uh, primarily safety. He's played a little bit, maybe a corner today, but he's basically been a safety. We've been over this a little bit, but Worley, a guy who came out of school uh, of school at 464 in terms of his 40 time, really, though he has the body of a cornerback in terms of his size and length and whatnot, just perfect for the position. Um, he's a little bit too slow to play outside corner in today's game. And he's probably not a 464 guy anymore. We would have to think. So, uh, you know, safety seems like a reasonable move for him where his instincts play into it better. His length can still play into it in terms of being a hulking presence. And particularly if he's at strong safety, you can move him up into the box and do things with him that would make him a short zone defender. Uh, this is exceptionally difficult to deal with. Uh, with his size. So uh, I think, you know, a guy who will make the team, I don't think there's any, there's, well, I, there, I guess there's always doubt about that in terms of the cornerback room, because he's a, he's a veteran who you're paying market price to, and, and you're not, uh, you don't have further years of team control related to him, but I think he'll make the team. And, and he had a pass defense uh, in this game, in addition to an interception that we'll talk about a little later. So he had another good practice. And I think he's, to me, in the days I've been there, he has shown enough that I would be pretty excited to have him as one of the 
or I would just just say, I'd be excited. I would be, I would want him to be one of the five or six cornerbacks that were um, active for the Ravens on game day. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about the 11-on-11 drills. We'll cover some other stuff first, then we'll get to the interceptions. Uh, Owe was part of a pressure that forced Lamar into a throwaway, about 10 yards, three circle. Uh, Owe still getting some decent pressure, still in the backfield a fair amount of the time. Uh, We really need to see live fire to judge his get-off and first move to see if progress has really been made with Chuck Smith, in my opinion. Uh, They're still not... Uh, it's not high intensity practice of the type you would see with pads and a live opponent. Um, even just with pads, they've had those practices so far. Those are still dialed back to three quarters, even though players want to show out when they have pads on. Um, but then you have other practices where they don't have pads and you're definitely getting some significant brother in all play. So uh, we're, we need more. We need, you know, practices against the commanders and those preseason games to begin before we, know what we really have in terms of a change in, in a Dafe away. The offense today, by my count, had five false starts separate. That is simply awful. They've been having, you know, a couple per day, which is what I would, I would call that a little bit too high, but maybe not absurdly too high. Um, but five in one day is just, just awful. And the very first one of them was caught, kind of caught my eye. Roquan crept up to the line of scrimmage and Linderbaum moved the ball. And then Linderbaum kind of gave, Oway a play, playful slap for kind of throwing him off. Well, that's of course I, 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 Oway uh, uh, Roquan for throwing him off, and of course that's Roquan's job is to is to do exactly that to opposing linemen to disrupt their scheme to make them wonder if he's coming or not to maybe line up in the a gap sometimes and not have them not be sure how to assign their blocking from that point. So, you know, don't blame Roquan for your problem is what I'd say about that one in Linderbaum's case. But it was all over the offensive line, various people having problems. It wasn't the center in uh, in every case. Uh, Broderick Washington had a nice downhill play to tackle Mitchell for a short uh, gain. It's one of these plays where the cutback was completely under control and he was bottled up. So it's a, a really nice play from from Broderick. And just like him, see him stacking plays, um, he's certainly part of the getting pressure uh, up the middle. We want to see pressure from him. We want to see him continue to leap and deflect balls the way he did. Um, but I'm also enjoying you know, his plays in pursuit, his plays as being a patient defender who waits for a screen pass, say, to develop or a swing pass and knows what to do, knows where to be. And I think we've seen good things from Broderick this year. And I hope he, uh, uh, I hope at some point, you know, the Ravens look into what it would take to get him back for you know, extra three years, say at this point, I think he'd be one of the really good targets among their uh, fourth year players. Of course they do that with anyone. And this is, this is one of the real catch 22s about this. You got what, seven, eight guys who are in their fourth year, won a new contract, whether it's queen or Dobbins or Broderick or Matabike or, you know, any of the guys. Um, And and then you have to, you really have to ask yourself if we sign one, are we going to upset the others? such that their performance might even be reduced this year. So even if they approach the Matabike and Washington situation as right player, right price. So look, we'll make an offer to each of you. This offer, obviously, in both cases, is a little bit less than you'll earn if you make it to free agency and everything is cool and you have a pretty good year this year. You, you, you certainly would be expected to do better than this. But this is also reduces your risk because you could get, you could get hurt this year. 
And then you might be looking at a one-year prove-it deal some year, be out of the league the next year potentially, and you have your career really shortened. And this, this is an opportunity where each side should probably see the value in um, or the divisible benefit that's available on that table for both. Take the risk out of the game for the player, add money, sorry, uh, take some of the money away from the, from the uh, uh, team's cap concerns, and, and you might really have an arrangement that can work. So anyway, uh, the, how J.K. Dobbins would react to Broderick Washington being signed right now, I don't even want to think about. Um, it's, it's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, would just, would just really concern you. If Justin Matabike were the guy who got signed, I'd even be more concerned because it's more of the money off the table. Um, in some ways that's a good thing because, because if you think about it, it's a zero sum game, the total salary cap is the total salary cap is available. The players have to split it in some way between them, or the team has to split it for the players by deciding how much they think each is worth. And so it's, it's a continued it's another data point to how the Ravens feel and another point, even though it's within a much larger context of how the NFL feels as a whole, that a player like Justin Matabike probably will get a significantly larger contract than J.K. Dobbins after this year. And it's just it's the nature of the NFL. It's how these players relatively are valued. It's how analytics has come into this and looked at their relative contributions and finds out which you know tries to assess which is more valuable. And frankly, it's how replaceable each of these guys is in terms of how far down do you drop from JK to the next available back. But maybe that's Keaton Mitchell, let's say, in terms of who would pick up those snaps from a, or if it's Braddock Washington, you might be dropping off to somebody who's, who's substantially further down the line. So uh, you, you really have to think about, you know, replaceability of that position. And it's just an unfortunate fact of life that running backs come from a very large size and shape pool, as I call it. So there's a lot to draw from there. There's a lot of great athletes who played running back in high school. It's obviously a position everybody wants to touch the football, right? Uh, if you can't be quarterback, you probably want to be a wide receiver or a running back. So, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very common position that the average body types of the 5'10 to 6 feet, 180 to 215 range uh, athletes uh, play at. And, you know, those guys are not left tackles. They are not tight ends. They are not a lot of things, um, but they are running backs. Uh, some of them are even too big to play cornerback so or, or too small in terms of their height to play cornerback or not fast enough to play cornerback. And what it comes down to is that position, uh, and I would say to, a very, to a, a very similar extent, the inside linebacker position are very large size and shape pools um, that, uh, that the players in that just have to deal with that fact. It's kind of like being a regular six foot guy and wanting to get in the NBA. They're just, just limited opportunities for you. So, you know, you're, it is, it is what it is. Anyway, by the way, I, I want to recommend people listen to the show on running back contracts done with Mark Horton. Outstanding, outstanding young man who brought a lot to this discussion in terms of uh, running back contracts, where they're headed, um, I think there was a good back and forth in terms of what the how the players ought to view this, how the teams ought to view this, how each side could compromise. I think there's just a lot of good material in there. Highly recommend. It will be out tomorrow if you're listening to this on Sunday. It should be out on Monday morning uh, on Film Study. So please take a look at that. I would highly recommend that. It goes. It, it runs just over an hour, and it's a it's a very good uh, uh, pod for my money.
Let's get back to practice a little bit today. Uh, what else happened that we want to talk about? Prochet had a couple of nice catches early in the early in the practice before the interceptions began. Uh, he had two straight catches, both from Josh Johnson. One was a 10-yard uh, play by the left sideline. It was in front of Brandon Stevens. Uh, nice way to take in the football. He kind of was cutting back for it in a way uh, that, that was gaining space in the process, which is nice to see him be aware of that uh, in terms of his uh, route running. Uh, the other one was just a short yard, short throw right at the line of scrimmage uh, between the numbers and left hash. So in that number two uh, strip, as I'll call it. Um, but he made a very nice juke at the line of scrimmage, and it looked as if it could have been a, a big play right there. He, he looks like he got into space. And uh, that's something the Ravens probably will want to work on if they have the cap of the defense appropriately taken off. There ought to be more opportunities to – uh, make some hay in space. They got a lot of speed on this team now with Flowers and Duvernay and Keaton in particular, um, but also a player like Prochet uh, who who can um, be elusive in space, uh, can work with some different concepts probably that the Ra- we haven't seen much from the Ravens. I, I mentioned pick and rub routes. Just has not been a big part of the Ravens lexicon these last few years uh, with Greg Roman. And I think for some obvious reasons, that's true. You can blame some of it on Roman if you want to. You can uh, uh, you know, blame some of it on the nature of the players that he wants to have in for a, you know, a run-heavy scheme and how he wants to present that to opposing defensive coordinators. But I think Monken is going to be more flexible in terms of using various body types at wide receiver. I don't think you have to be big and tall necessarily. I think that he'll find ways to, to use fast guys. I think he'll find ways to use tight ends. I think he'll find ways to take the top off the defense. I think he'll find ways to gadgetize um, his various players who fit that role well. Prochet, Keaton, Mitchell, um, uh, uh, Flowers, and of course Duvernay all fit into that category. So uh, he's got some good toys to work with, and and it'll be a lot of fun to see how this uh, plays out. Mason, another difficult day as a catcher. Now he did catch a nice wheel route up the left side for 20 plus yards. And then later, little flat route drops the football. You just cannot have that continue to happen from a fullback who's going to catch a fair number of passes there, already is dealing with a fairly miserable yard per target result to start with. Well, every every target you drop, of course, is going to make that even worse. And so uh, he's dropped a lot of balls. He's had some problems fumbling the ball after it's been in there. Um, and it's something that I'm not sure exactly where he fits in. And the, the, the question that kind of enters my mind as practice is ending is, well, what if Ricard can't go? Is it possible the Ravens will start with three tight ends, try and use Likely or Kolar as a pseudo fullback or just a lineup in the backfield option for some package of plays uh, and not go all that heavy too often? But is it, do they have to find another option at fullback other than Mason? Because honestly, he has not looked good at all as a receiver. And once you're there, it becomes much harder to justify some of the other things he's doing as a blocker. So he better be a great blocker if he's going to be as bad a receiver as he's been. And I don't think we've seen him be in any Patrick Ricard. Now we get an opportunity to let Mason show out in these preseason games and in these practices against the commanders to try and see if in a much more physical environment, 
how his how his blocking looks. And I'll I'll be very he's definitely one of the players in this preseason you want to keep an eye on. Jackson made a nice throw to Andrews, 15 yards uh, between the numbers and the right hash. Uh, so it's in that four slot. Hit him in stride. Looked like it would have been a big play. Uh, it's the kind of thing crossing and and uh, being able to outrace a defender who is trailing uh, is a Andrews big play special and something that uh, uh, you know we hope we see a lot of this season. I do think we're probably seeing a little more of Jackson at Andrews' favorite targetism. Uh, showing up in this this camp so far, but he 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 moved those interceptions around a little bit as we're gonna as we're gonna talk about. Okay, nine interceptions. Let's go through them real quickly. Uh, Mayfield had a leaping twenty five yard interception deep down the left sideline in front of Bridges. Washington had a thirty five yard interception on the right boundary in front of Tariq Black. Worley had a fifteen yard interception. I couldn't even tell you who it was intended for but it was uh, uh, between the numbers and the right hash. He's playing safety at the time, so that's a good one. Mayfield scores his second interception of the day, 35 yards down the left sideline. Uh, that was from Josh Johnson. Uh, we had a strange tipped ball situation where Welch tipped the ball, then Jaquan Amos tipped it, and then it was finally secured by Jeremy Lucian. Really good to see the defense getting a tip drill to work like that. And you know They're not doing a tip drill – as a drill, they're doing a tip drill in in you know live fire, so so that's good. I actually think that might have been a seven on seven play. Um, it's really bad to 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 get an interception on seven and seven. It's also really bad to get a ball tipped twice in seven on seven. So this was quite uh, this was quite awful. And and Lucian came up with a pick. Hamilton interception, Jackson, fifteen yards uh, between the hashes. Uh, right after the play, Lamar Jackson rolled to the ground in personal disgust as I would read it. Uh, he's just obviously upset with not having a good day. And, you know, it's kind of like, Oh my God, what's happening here. Uh, and that that's how I read it anyway. And uh, uh, obviously the offense didn't have a good day. The next play, uh, not the next play, but, but the next interception was Marcus Williams who picked off Jackson 15 yards right in the middle of the field, same spot on the field as, as Hamilton. Uh, and in a lot of ways it looked the same, but you know, Marcus Williams, uh, looked like his early season per play brilliance that he put on his per snap brilliance that really had him in position to maybe be a defensive player of the year candidate early in the season before he got hurt. Um, and he looked great there. And then it was two to four plays later. I couldn't tell you the exact number, but he intercepted Jackson again, this time 20 yards down that strip between the left numbers and the left hash. So uh, two quick interceptions there for Marcus Williams, and he looks like the ball hawking stud of old. Uh, it, that at least is very positive. And you sometimes you look at these as a zero sum game. And we talked about the pass rush versus the offensive line on a previous episode. This is more a case, obviously, of the of the quarterbacks versus the defensive backs and their reads they're getting here. And I think that uh, uh, it could still be a zero sum game, but is really nice to see Marcus Williams playing at that kind of an all pro level that, that we would hope for him uh, in a season after he, he played so well on a per snap basis for the Ravens when he was in there. Anyway, the last interception of the day was uh Kayvon Seymour interception of Josh Johnson, 35 yards down the right sideline. So a lot of long balls, a lot of kind of flotation devices, which hung up a little too long and got picked off 
all underneath guys. It wasn't it wasn't over the top guys with these interceptions. It wasn't a lot of lurking, you know, in the Ed Reed style with a loose bracket trying to find those you know tip balls and and uh, and overthrown balls. They did have one tip, but most of it it was it was uh, you know interceptions by the underneath player just making a a, a good play here. And uh, uh, unfortunately, a lot of that's got to fall back to the quarterback really underthrowing the football in a way that's that's uh, not very good. Anyway, uh, practice today, they they sometimes keep score. Had they done that, I don't think it would have been anything the offense would want to remember. It was a simple, brutal, unfair massacre. And uh, the, the defense had its way pretty much all day with the offense. Uh, it is a day that grants you perhaps some hope that the Ravens' cornerback problems are not as bad as they seem to be currently with the injury to Rocky Asin and the um, – you know, release of Mullen and the uncertain status, I guess, of, you know, exactly how it's going to be resolved. But Mullen is is probably never going to play for the Ravens would be my my take on the current situation. And, you know, the, who do they have left? Well, maybe Corey Mayfield. Maybe he's a guy who has found himself a more significant role, perhaps on the outside at, at corner for this team, just based on what's happening. Uh, maybe we're seeing something where uh, the slot corners and in particular are Darius Washington. Uh, could have a role on this team uh, that would be more than we had expected. I think that uh, going into this practice and uh, you know seeing him have a fairly limited role, my feeling would have been Washington would have been going to the practice squad. Now I'm not so sure anymore. I think this is this was a really big day for him, and he's one of the players now I really want to look at in preseason. I want to see see how he shows out, and maybe he's got a role somewhere uh, among six defensive backs now with with some of the obvious non-success, some of the injuries, some of the other things that are going on in that cornerback room that just do not look good at all. So uh, hopefully anyway, you know, there, there's some players here who uh, who are poised to pounce on the opportunity and make a contribution. Real quickly, talk about the interviews uh, briefly. We had George Godsey, the tight ends coach. Uh, nice guy. I'd never uh, heard him speak before. Did a good job at the at the podium doesn't ever come up there with any precursor remarks. Usually the offensive defensive coordinators do that. And so does the head coach. They talk about, yeah, good day at practice. Nice warm day, blah, blah, blah. Really physical. I like the way the guys took care of each other. All typical Harbaugh comments from a, <laughs> a uh, post-practice uh, preamble. And then they, he starts to take questions. Well, guys, he just goes up and, you know, no bones about it. Let's just go to questions right away. Um, there were some good ones. I thought in this one, he talked about the tight ends needing to be ready with versatility that keeps the opposing defensive coordinator guessing that second part I am putting in there as or uh, extrapolating from, from the words he actually used. Um, but I thought that the, that, that was a very good point is that this team, they have blocking guys. They have some missing blocking guys from last year. They don't really probably have a complete handle on the breakdown of snaps they're going to be asked to do in terms of blocking assignments and pass catching assignments and who's going to be, are they going to have a lot of 12? Are they going to have any 13 this year after what's happened before? But he did say that Monken had been good with tight ends before. And, and he, uh, you know, thought that, that uh, it, it still worked out well for the tight ends uh, here. Uh, he talked about Isaiah likely a little bit as a guy who takes good notes and has good questions. Uh, that's always really good to hear because we don't really ever get to see in that uh, the schoolroom, you know, that they're in the position rooms and 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 how they're going over their assignments and and what they have to do. So 
about the closest we get to the tight ends room is watching Syracuse lock the tight ends in the trailer um, and then uh, run away and, uh, and, and, uh, yeah, Syracuse, yeah, right. Lockie and Shannon Sarp in the, in the trailer in hard knocks, but, uh, but we don't get to see inside very often. He talked a little bit about Travis Vokalek, who's the, that fourth tight end, um, uh, comes out of Nebraska. If, if there's not an injury in the preseason, if the, if the Ravens depth holds up, I would be fairly certain Vokalek is a guy they'll try and keep on the practice squad. Uh, first of all, they usually want a tight end there, but he's just seen a lot of play in terms of the third team offense looks. So hasn't been on the field for that many plays. I'd say his target share has been darn good for when he's been on. Uh, he's a really big dude. So, you know, he can probably help you as a blocker. And he certainly, you know, being a rookie is a guy the Ravens want to try and keep around the building if they can. And obviously if they practice putting him on the practice squad, they'd be taking a chance on losing him. But I think they, they'd like to, all things being equal, keep him around. So he's available if uh, someone gets hurt. And also so that he's a guy who might grow into a one of three or one of four role next year. Um, if the need arises, if for any reason, uh, likely or Kolar was lost for an extended period, say for, for next year, you want to have a guy who's cheap on a, still on his rookie deal around that can, that can help you in multiple ways, whether receiver blocker, whatever that might be, maybe even uh, lining up in the backfield. So, uh, vocal, like I think has looked pretty good. And, and he was a guy who was on the draft list. I didn't really have him as a draftable player, but, uh, but now that the Ravens have got him, I, I, I kind of like. Um, you know, what they have here. And, and he's a, uh, you know, he looks like a guy who could uh, potentially help the Ravens might be a guy who, who comes up for a practice squad activation. Uh, if one of the tight ends, for example, can't go for a game or two. Charlie Kolar was the next guy out there. Um, talked about having added some good weight in the off season. He wants to play at about 265. It's about 10 pounds heavier than he played as a rookie. Um, he talked about his love of cheeseburgers, which was kind of funny. He's, he's a, He's definitely a tries to be funny guy. Let's put it that way. So he's, he's, you can tell there's kind of a comic thing. Andrews walked by as the interview was going on and was trying to disrupt him by making funny faces at him or maybe making a noise. And, uh, you know, Charlie and him clearly, you know, are friendly. And, uh, he, you know, he told him to shut up. And that was actually kind of amusing to us anyway. That's, uh, it's on, I'm sure, the, uh, the live stream of the interviews if you want to go take a listen to it. Uh, but he said that one of the things in college was that he, he played a little bit fat. And even though he was carrying some additional weight, it wasn't good weight. And he, he'd made an effort to improve the, 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 the weight he's carrying to make it be more muscle. And of course, you always like to hear that along with any kind of position specific training that the, the players doing during the off season. Uh, in terms of position specific training, Isaiah likely came to the, the, uh, podium next and he spent time at tight end you this offseason so great to hear that by the way you want to hear a player take time get me improve his body and like kolar and then you want to hear a guy who really goes out and tries to figure out what he's doing at his position what could be better what could be you know what didn't work and, and i need to improve on so um a lot of different approaches he, he mentioned and a lot of different um uh, tight ends across the league and how they do things. And he, and, uh, he thought he, he derived value from that added about five pounds during the off season. And he was the one who finally pointed out that the, you know, the, you can't judge the offense completely based on all of these third and long drills, but, uh, yeah, it didn't look very good. I'm going to say nine interceptions. If it should have been seven, but if it, because it was third and long, that's still an awful lot. 
you know, and, and uh, probably way too many for the, for the circumstances uh, uh, regardless. So the other thing like point likely made is that when he doesn't think of it as losing, he thinks of it as learning, obvious, a very positive point. And one of the great ways to turn the interview question away from the negative quickly. What's your weakness, son? Chocolates. Well, that's what people tell you to say on an interview. And this is kind of a response like that. So when we're losing, we're learning. And uh, it's certainly something that you, you, you want to take to heart. Anyway, that's it for Camp Notes on August 5th. Um, uh, always great to be able to do these shows with folks. Looking for people still to be on Film Study Shorts. If you'd like to be on one, hit me up. There's going to be opportunities before the season starts. And uh, if you DM me on Twitter, I promise I'll get back to you very quickly. And we'll talk about any idea you might have for, for an episode, whether it might be a GM idea, some particular analytics idea, or the kind of idea that Mark Horton just had in talking about running back contracts and how the current situation is not does not have an easy resolution to it. Uh, so uh, there's a, a, a lot there, and I, I hope you'll take a listen to that episode. And, and don't feel like you need to have some highly intellectual argument you will hear that from mark but i'll i'll discuss generally with people what they think about the baltimore ravens think of me more as a a call-in guy for a radio station you always have a chance anyway to to call in um and i i'm really looking also for people who might do well on a show during the regular season you know might be somebody who wants to talk about a particular issue or an acquisition when it comes up so i'm always looking to meet new people Please take advantage of that, and uh, and I'd love to hear from you and get back to you quickly when I do. Anyway, we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.